0: Track action starts Thursday night in Tokyo. Play in the Running Warehouse, Let's Run.com prediction contest. And if you want all the Tokyo coverage, daily podcast, behind the scenes access, become a Let's Run.com supporters club member today. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. Olympic week is finally here, we've waited, I guess it depends on how you're counting, an extra year, five years for this day, and we're kicking it off on sponsored our road to the trials, and the road to Tokyo here is much shorter, but we've got Jake Riley, the Olympic marathoner for the United States, second place finished at the trials for those of you who forgot, in two ten oh two. And also, you probably forgot, it was a three-way battle for the final two spots. It was Jake, Abdi, who I always have to give a shout-out to because the last time we raced, I beat him, and he's my age almost, which is crazy. And Leonard Career, who made the Olympics last time in the 10 game. three guys for two spots. Jake got second, and, well, he thought he'd be an Olympian by now, but hopefully two weeks, I guess, no, we got one. Olympics are two weeks long. Almost three weeks from now, You'll be an Olympian, right, Jake? Welcome to the show. That's the plan. Yeah. yeah thank you for having me. So, you're in Boulder still. When do you go to Tokyo? Are you worried about COVID? The game still being canceled. I mean, it's probably been crazy for you.
1: So, first of all, I leave. Uh, I leave Boulder on Monday. I'm going back to Bellingham, my, my hometown, where my parents live, for like three days, and then uh, we fly out the 29th to go to Tokyo. And then we're right now. The plan is to be in Tokyo for like three days, and then or two, two days, and then we go to Sapporo after that, so it's kind of like a little hopping. Mainly, we wanted to be down it. We wanted to have at least 10 days at sea level prior to the race, and so the flights didn't quite work out where it was going to be like eight, so we just wanted to make sure we had that window, so I'll go home, hammer out like a nice hard tempo at uh, at sea level, kind of get sea level legs under me, and then go to Tokyo, and it'll be all, all taper all the time. As far as COVID, I'm not worried about myself getting covid i'm vaccinated i'm um, i feel like i'm on more of the the cautious end of the spectrum uh but it certainly has been nerve-wracking like seeing tokyo's response and like the public's response and i i've been trying to read as little of it as possible cuz most of it's like oh some unnamed ministry source or whatever it is and so it's like okay well that's not an official so or that's not an official announcement. And so until there is an official announcement, I have to prepare as if the games are going off. So me reading this and getting stressed out about it is not particularly useful. So I, I, I keep my head in the sand quite a bit, honestly. Uh, and you know, we're we're the last of it in the game. So like if a bunch of knuckleheads go out and like start giving each other COVID because they're making out after their events, like and there's an there's a there's a an outbreak or something like that, like it's probably gonna affect me. You know, I'm in, I'm in Sapporo, so we're a little bit separated from that. But um, I I will say that until I'm – because of all the 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 controversy and the um, uh, the uproar and, honestly, the danger, right, COVID, like the Delta variant is not – it's no joke. We're not playing around with anything. Um, I'm not going to feel confident that I am an Olympian until I am on that start line, like, and the gun goes off. Like, I feel like at that point, I can feel confident that we're going to finish.
0: Well, I've been paranoid the games when. Are- possibly get canceled but I figured once I think it's Friday morning here came around they had the opening ceremonies we're good but you're right we're we're not good until your event goes off which is the last one of the games so
1: I'm a little bit of a superstitious person I don't believe it makes any like I I don't actually believe it has any effect but you know why risk it so I I, I'm not going to say anything with hundred percent confidence until after the thing has happened. And then I can talk about all the stuff I want. Uh, but I, I tend to not try and jinx things. It just kind of in the back of my head. It's like, well, it's probably not
0: going to matter, but just in case. So there's no spectators and you guys can't do opening ceremonies before these COVID restrictions got put in was the plan to go to the opening ceremonies. I don't know. I feel like so much as a lay person, so much at the Olympics is about, if I was a, an Olympian, I, I would want to go to the opening ceremonies. Was that ever part of the plan? Or Is there any disappointment not being able to do that? Or
1: Yes, there, I'm a little bit disappointed we wouldn't be able to go to the opening ceremony. Like, that was certainly when I first made the team. That was one of the things I was really looking forward to. Now, I'm not entirely sure that even if this wasn't a COVID year that we would have gone anyway, just because of how hot Tokyo was going to be. And, you know... Uh, the, the difficulty of training in a big city like that, you know, I, I know I remember back in, uh, it was a 2000, like in Beijing the Beijing Olympics, like Ryan Hall didn't go to the opening ceremonies because Beijing was going to be so polluted. So like there was a part of me that was wondering whether it would even be, be worth it to do that. Uh, when I, when he'd originally been considering it, we were thinking like, okay, we'll go for the opening ceremonies and then we'll leave the country and go to like Australia or something like that until it's time to race. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing. Um, the main thing is no spectators. Uh, one of I think one of the reasons I was so excited that it, not only did I make the team, but like that it was in Japan, is because the Japanese fans until the marathon, right? Like they love distance running, but they love the marathon in particular. And you know I've, I've been able to race in Japan a couple times for the the Chiba Ekiden, and their fans were knowledgeable. Like they lined the entire course, they were going nuts. It was fantastic. So the fact that there's not going to be that kind of crowd energy there, I'm a little bit disappointed. And then obviously my parents and my girlfriend and my uncles and aunts can't can't come over, and they had all been planning to, but. Ultimately, so long as I get to say I'm an Olympian, I'll, I'll put up with just about anything. So uh, it's not quite the games I expected, but so long as I get at games, I'm happy.
0: The whole family thing is crazy because for so many Olympians, your family is a huge part of it, right? Their whole life, your whole life, they're supporting you. Everyone dreams of the Olympics. As many people as possible probably want to be there if you make it, and now they can't. So, yeah kind of a bummer but
1: yeah they'll be having a big watch party back in bellingham so uh there i will have family support
0: somewhere they'll be watching yeah that's what we need we need watch parties because i started thinking looking i was thinking about the track stuff so the marathon will be what sunday morning so saturday night oh that would be a good time
1: it's 4 p.m in the afternoon like you know get you get yourself some make it like a super bowl you know have your friends get some wings yeah
0: it's uh it's the perfect timing well, Saturday afternoon marathon, nothing better. I live in New York City suburbs, and I was like, oh, the last day of track on Saturday, I think the 1500 final is, it'd be Saturday morning. I'm like, we need to have a bar that will I'm like, well, maybe I could get NBC involved. They didn't want to show a watch party because so much of what they do at the Olympics is show fans. I'm like, we could get some parents or something. And I hadn't thought about the marathon. But if I did that and the marathon at four days, there could be some, you know, people partying all day it might be too much, but <laughs> we got to think about it. But let's talk a little bit about your preparations for Tokyo. And then we can kind of rewind and talk about your career and how you got here. Because I think that's often just as interesting a story as the games itself. But I don't know if you know this or not. Like, I said, actually, I do. I'm lying, people. I'm lying. I'm just lying to the audience for, for a theater, for effect. But I just asked you beforehand, did you know if you trended super hot in Let's Run yesterday? And you said no. So then I said, okay, I'm not going to say any I'll tell you on the podcast. It's not too bad. So there was a thread on Let's Run. It's like I, I could find the title, of it, but essentially it's like Jake Riley. I'm worried. Oh, uh, is it Teller? You, you click on it, and the official title was Jake Riley Has Me Worried. And I guess Sweat Elite filmed one of your workouts. I think it was a three-mile run or something, or three-mile tempo or part of a tempo and and at the end of it you're upset from my take on it it was 30 seconds from your best time that doesn't sound too bad you're at altitude it's hot i'm sure your best time it wasn't hot but i thought it was great because then your coach lee troop talks to you and he sort of kind of tries to talk you off a cliff and says hey you don't want to leave your your best runs in in, in practice which i totally agree with my best marathon i think was 20 miles when i paced the man in chicago one year and it went and ran new york three weeks later and it's like barely walk. Uh-huh. So how have things been going? We can talk about the thread that workout in a second, but overall, how would you say things are say compared to the trials? Are you ready to go excited? Well, I'm, I
1: think I'm ready to go. Like, yes, I was frustrated at the end of that workout. Cause like, so th- that workout was teller farm, which is a four mile, very hilly tempo straight into like Lee calls it a 5k time trial. It's 3.3. It's some weird number, but it's uphill like it's just a real grind. It's an absolute ball buster. There's nowhere to hide. Like, but the other thing of it is we don't have a lot of workouts that we really circle on the calendar and say like, Hey, this one, we're really going to try and get after it. You know, most of our stuff is like, we go out, we do the work. No single workout is really going to like make or break a segment. Um, so I've kind of built that one up in my mind and like the last two buildups, that one's gone really, really well. Um, and so I thought, well, it's an Olympic year. I need to be doing even better. So, the time that I ran for the tempo section is faster than I've ever run before on that or faster than I've run when I've run fast. Like, so that was part really solid. And I did it feeling like absolute crap. Like my legs are just kind of a little bit empty, a little bit dead, but I still managed well on the tempo part. And then, you know, I was hard to get moving on the second half. And I was certainly frustrated with that, but like the time I ran was not, it was not as bad as I was making it out to be when I was very frustrated. Uh, I think it's just, you know, I want everything to be good and I want to feel good all the time. And that's not necessarily the best or that's not a reasonable expectation for training. So I know I've been training hard. I know there's fitness in my legs. I was hoping to be able to access it then, but um, I, yeah, it, like you said, it was probably 30 degrees hotter than the, the last time I did the workout uh, training has gone like a slightly different route. So um, I was doing a little bit of a hamstring thing over the fall. So my segment has been a little bit shorter than we might've intended But I've been able to get quite a bit of good quality in. We've been down to sea level for heat acclimation training in Virginia. I was out in Eugene for a little bit. I had a really good three hour run. So I've been getting all of the work in. So it's not a concern as to, will I be able to get to the start line? Will I be fit? Like, I think I'm as fit as I've ever been, but it's the Olympics. I want to be fitter. I like, I want to be absolutely crushing it and smashing things all over the place. And like, it's, it's tough during a marathon because you Like you spend so long, so tired, you don't really get a good idea of just how fit you are until the race day. I mean, you only really get one race day. It's not like in track where, okay, we've got this race two, two months out. We're going to tweak some things. We got this race six weeks out. We're going to tweak some things. And you kind of get those little updates on your fitness. It's, you might get one race. And for me, that was Peachtree. And I, I think that was, again, a solid race that like, I didn't smash out of the park, but I did fine. I don't want to be doing just fine. I want to be doing fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I do have to balance that with the idea that like you see it every year before the trials, the people that are doing fantastic month to six weeks out, how many of them are at the front when you get to the trials, it's a pretty mixed bag. Like how many guys ran under one Oh two in Houston. And of those guys that ran under one Oh two, under two at Houston, how many came back and were top 10? Like I, I remember, I don't think any of them did. Like I think Jared was the second American there and he, absolutely fell apart at the trials and I love Jared, but like he may have had, he may have run part of his race at that trials. So I'm trying to layer on the side of like, no, you're doing this on tired legs. It's hot. You will be ready in Houston or not in Houston in, in Tokyo. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I have coaches at this point in my career. I could probably give myself workouts to get myself fit, but it's good to have another voice there, either pulling me back when I need to be pulled back or kicking my ass when I'm not doing enough uh, on my own and then also kind of give me a little bit perspective as to where I'm at in my training because uh, I'm not always the best at, at uh, gauging that. You know, I feel like I need to be hammering all the time and I need somebody to tell me, no, you don't need to be
0: X right now. A couple of things I took away. One is you're super competitive and I guess you probably have to be to make an Olympics, but running such a sort of... I don't even know what the right word is, but most of the time we're running, there's just so much time to sort of be in the elements thinking you can't be too uptight, but you're 10 times a better runner than I am. But like, I'm very competitive. I don't want to lose. I don't think you make an Olympic team without that fire. So I definitely saw that from the video. And then I got curious when you just said, I'm like, wait, what did you have? What did you do before the trials? Like, what was your races? I can't even remember. I just know you made the Olympic team. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to anyone.
1: Yeah, I did the Phoenix half marathon, but we did it as a workout. So I did the first 10 miles at like around five minute pace. And then the goal was to just run as hard as you can for the last five K. And, and then I think Lee gave me like a five or six mile cool down. It ended up being like a 22 mile day. It was very hard. Uh, But yeah, I felt like absolute trash there and then ended up feeling great later on. So, um, you know, we, we don't race a ton. Uh, or at least we haven't since I've been working with Lee, and I think that's good. I I, I like to get into a routine. I like to get um, I like to get a little bit of a rhythm going. I can like kind of have my stuff around me. Um, I am a competitive person, but I think it's both a strength and a weakness. It can be very situational. So like, if I show up to like an all comers meet here in Boulder or something like that, like, I I I don't care. I, I plenty of people have gotten my scalp at like an all comers meet that probably shouldn't, but, uh, it's cause I, I just, I don't get fired up for it, but if I make it a big deal, then yeah, I really fucking hate to lose and running, you know, not what I wanted to run on, on that workout was, it felt like losing objectively. It's not, I'm trying to have that that perspective, but like, yeah, when I care about it, it get, I get the fire going. And I, yes, I do think that's, that's important. I do think you see that in, you know, the people that make
0: the team, they know how to turn it on or
1: they, it when they're good, it's
0: on. Speaking of all-comers meets, I was looking at what you did last year, you know, with Japan canceled. You're at the Frank Shorter Track Elite Meet at Nevin Platt Middle School there in Boulder. You know, I'm sure when you made the team, you thought that's what you'd be running, I think, in July or August.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Lee's the kind of guy that, like, he he has a slightly different perspective on racing than I do. Like, I don't know, I don't want to do, like, local 1500s every weekend, but it's like, yeah, we'll toss you at it, go run, go have fun. Uh, and it was, you know, there was smoke in the air and it was hot and, but yeah, you go, you jog at 15, there's a bunch of locals there. It's fun. Um, we probably have some of the most competitive all comers meets in the country just com- considering how many top runners are here. Like I think in one of those races, I was, it was me and drew Hunter and Noah Droddy and like maybe a couple other guys, like, you don't get that at most all comers meets. So it,
0: it can end up being pretty competitive sometimes. For sure. So back to the show. You said you went to Virginia for heat acclimatation. Acclimate, acclimate, is that the word? I can't even say it. Acclimation, acclimatization. Yeah. Acclimatization. There we go. I think
1: they're, they're both the same thing, I think.
0: And you were in Eugene, I guess, the team processing at the track trials. It was definitely hot there. But yeah, what specifically can you tell us about how hot you think it'll be and what the course is, is like? Because I've been trying to say, I think the course is not that easy. And people are like, what are you talking about? The marathon courses at the Olympics are usually not that hard. I mean, Athens is pretty hard, but besides that. So what are your thoughts on the course and the heat?
1: Uh, Heat looks like it's going to, I mean, not terrible. Like they gave us kind of historical data. It's highs in sort of the mid to low 80s, lows in the mid to low 60s. So like, I think average temperature around race time is going to be somewhere in like the high 60s, low 70s which, you know, for a marathon where your optimum is like, I think 48 or something like that, it's going to be, be a little bit hotter than we would want. It's not going to be Tokyo hotter. It shouldn't be, we hope. Um, and, you know, I think I'm doing everything I need to, to get acclimated for it. You got the half sip on right now. I've been doing most of my runs in, in long sleeves today. I was in long sleeves and long pants and it was a little bit of a slog, but the idea is make it a slog now so that it's not later. Um, and then, yeah, in Virginia, you know, it was, conditions almost identical to that with real high humidity that's the big thing i can't get here in boulder is the is the humidity part so that's why i wanted to go to virginia um so you yeah, know go out get a little soggy get a little sweaty and just kind of get used to running with that kind of feeling of a cotton ball in front of your mouth i don't think it'll be quite that bad i'm not super concerned about the heat uh affecting me in particular as opposed to anybody else i think i'm doing pretty much everything i need to to make sure that i'm on an even playing field there the course I mean, I have, I've, I've had it taped up on my uh, desk right here in front of me for a long time. Pretty much no elevation change. Now, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of turns. There's like a couple little sections of kind of like right, left, right, left, right, left. But it's all 90s. There's, you know, maybe one or two hairpins at the very start. But you know, nothing in there really makes me think that this is going to be, you know, trials difficult or anything like that. I think most of the difficulty is going to come from the people in the race, not the the course itself which is almost a little bit disappointing. I, th- I think I would have liked a little bit more of a tough course. I think I respond well to conditions. I think I can kind of approach a race and change my strategy based on what the conditions give me. And I think not everybody can do that. And it's the Olympics and some people kind of lose all their tactical knowledge uh, in a big race like that. And, you know, the more difficult the, the conditions are, the more likely people are to make mistakes. And so I think it would provide more opportunities for me to
0: capitalize on. But I think there'll be plenty of those it is you could just people can't see your setup but if you've got the course in front of you there's an american flag behind you i think it's very appropriate yeah i wanted to make sure there's a good zoom
1: background so yeah i got the course i got the the, the trials medal where to go there it is. yeah yeah oh i didn't
0: even see the trial it's my, it's my little wall of running very nice did lee figure out hey you should wear long sleeves or you just need to do that yourself or did like the usopc physio people tell you to do that or kind of how does this all come about the preparations like once you make the olympic team do you get a lot more outside help from people or how does that work
1: yeah you get access to a whole bunch of people so usatf has got kind of their heat guru randy Wilbur. um so he did like a three-part series on what the conditions you can expect how best to acclimate um how to use like the ice vest and everything and then he's kind of if you send him what your training plan is he will send back Like, here's what you should be wearing on any given day, uh, in order to kind of get yourself prepared. Uh, and then we also ran it by Benji Durden, who's a 1980 Olympian, um, here in Boulder. He's done a lot of heat acclimation stuff. He's done races in like Miami and Hawaii and a bunch of other places. He did pay a lot of attention to it when he was a runner. And he basically echoed exactly what Randy Wilbur was saying. So, um, between the two of them, that's kind of where the plan came from. So it's like about three weeks out, you just start to put on more clothing, basically, when you go around, it's just. Uh, you're trying to trick your body into getting a new set point. I think it's already starting to work a little bit. I think it's become less and less oppressive to wear a long sleeve out here. And like, we're getting the highs in the 90s here in Boulder. So it's not like we're, we're, we're cooling off, but it has not been terrible to wear it. And so I'm hoping that it'll be at the very least a nice contrast. And then, you know, get some more capillaries on the surface of the skin, get a little higher blood volume, all the, all the good physiological
0: changes that you want. Yeah, I think in Rio, I'm trying to think what it was. Galen Rupp had like a ice hat or something. It wouldn't surprise me. And no one else knew that, that you could do it. But I assume, actually, the more I think about it, that probably the US track, USATF would tell you what you could do. Like, Are you allowed to have ice or an ice hat? Have you heard anything about that? During the
1: race? I mean, I, yeah. they hand out like ice towels. And other like I don't think
0: there would be any reason why you could... I, I think he got a new hat handed to him that had an ice on the back or something. I don't think you can ban ice. That'd be silly. Yeah. And so
1: I can't imagine they could They could ban that even if they wanted to. And they, I think they're going to be handing out iced things. And so one of the things Benji was telling me was like, is when you get one of those cold towels, like just carry it with you, at the very least you can watch sweat, but also, uh, you know, you lose a lot of heat through the hands, through the back of the neck, the head, like if you can have something cool on there, drawing some heat out, great. Yeah, go ahead and do it. Um,
0: yeah, it, it, yeah, I think it's fine. Turning to the goals for the Olympics. Do you have a time goal, a place goal? How do you set the goals for the Olympics? It seems such a, everyone wants to be an Olympian, but then there's the bigger goal of actually once you make it. So what are your goals for Tokyo or Sapporo?
1: Uh, I'm kind of setting all of my I'm basing a lot of this off of how successful Jared Ward was. Um, we're the same age. We, like, raced Foot Locker together, like, I think of us as pretty similar in terms of our skill set uh, and our approach to racing, um, and he was sixth in Rio. So I think that surprised some people. I think it surprised him a little bit, but at the same time, he was able to do that. So I have kind of top 10 as sort of a general tier. I would like to get in that, like, six, five, six, seven range. Um, I think that's, like, a good aggressive without being crazy goal that being said like there's a big part of me that wants to try and go for a medal if it seems like it's going to work out if there's like a big pack or something like that and you know i can be aggressive especially over the last half of the race i'm going to go for it and that could end up blowing up my face as, as the marathon sometimes does but um you know going there and getting 20th has has no interest for me even if that's like kind of running conservatively and not blowing up like i would rather go for it and blow up then you know, run some sort of like smart race and finish 15th so try and balance those those two uh desires um no real time goes i just because it is a championship race and traditionally the marathon or the olympic marathon does not go particularly fast like what are the winning times usually between like 208 and 212 um so as i've been training i've kind of had in my head like what sort of fitness level do I think I should be at? And so I ran 210 at the trials. Um, Now people said, because the course was difficult, like that probably corresponds to like around a 208 in terms of effort on like a flat fast course. So in my head, I've had like be in sub 208 shape, I guess is kind of the goal. Um, Now with Lee, we don't do a whole lot of pace stuff. We don't, um, we don't have a lot of like, five by two miles at marathon pace type of workouts. Like we very rarely say marathon pace. It's mostly about tempos and getting into a rhythm and then kind of coming out of that rhythm like that teller farm workout. Uh so how close I am to that kind of fitness, I'm not entirely sure. But I think I am as fit or more fit than the trials. So I think if it's going to be kind of towards the upper end of that race, like that 207, 208 range, um, I would be able to hang with that if it were evenly paced. If it's a you know, if they're doing it in surges or something like that, you know, I, I don't entirely know. I think I'm going to try and take a similar approach to what I took at the trials, which is lay off the pace early on and kind of be in that second pack, um, really try to let some people up front punch themselves out and then try to really chase people down, you know, going with the idea that 18, between 18 and 20, that's our go time. And we're going to like make a hard move to just try and catch as many people that are coming back to us as possible, as opposed to trying to play some of those tactical games early on. You know, Kipchoge has got 30 different ways to beat anybody in this race. Like me going out and trying to run the legs off Kipchoge is not a particularly effective strategy. I don't think it'd be a little naive. So we're going to kind of lay back and try to take
0: advantage of other people's mistakes. I think messing with Kipchoge is not a good strategy. (laughs) Yeah. If you beat him, it probably wasn't his day just in general. I mean, he's lost what one out of his last 12 marathons. If the old Kipchoge shows up, nobody's beating him and you can't worry about him.
1: I don't like going in saying like, well, yes, like if everybody races their best, I'm 10th. Like it feels kind of a, a little bit defeatist, but at the same way, in the same time to go in as a 210 guy and say, I'm going to beat a 201 guy. I'm going to go toe to toe, like playing his game with him. And beat him on his own terms, like that seems a little bit naive. So, uh, yeah, it, it, if I sneak into that medal count or I, like in that top 10, it's gonna be at least partly because other people made mistakes. Like, I, I think I'm gonna, it's gonna, for me to medal or to get that top five, it would take me having the best race of my life or pretty close to it. And it would take a couple guys having, like, you know, bad days. And that's racing and that's how it goes. And I think it's not the first time we've ever seen it. So I'm not counting myself out.
0: Um, Yeah. Hopefully that's the right perspective. We'll, we'll find out. (laughs) No, I think so. When you start talking about your big goals, I got goosebumps. Uh, I don't know. You think I'd be jaded because I talked to a lot of athletes, but the Olympics and you hear it. And I mean, the marathons, it's beautiful. It's like kind of, it's one of the premier events of the Olympics. Also, there's more randomness in the marathon. Anything can happen. It's usually hot at the games. There's only three Kenyans, three Ethiopians. I mean, it's each country's best versus each country's best. As you said, Jared got six. So, hey, you just do a little bit better and boom. Um, I don't know. It's what uh, we we get away from it a lot on Let's Run, but our slogan is where your dreams become reality because we, <laughs> we want to inspire people. And the Olympics is just, uh, people call, say, the myth of the Olympics. It, it's, it's what the dreams are about. You know, most people don't ever attain it, but you did. So you might as well keep on dreaming
1: go for it. Yeah. And, uh, the, the motto we have on like the shirts that we're selling and all this other kind of stuff is, is no more next times. That was my motto before the trials. And like, there's a good chance. This is my one and only shot at the Olympics. So why, why fart around uh, playing it safe? Like let's go out and and say that we did everything we could. So
0: Before the trials, you had no sponsor. And then, which was, I think was smart because you could wear whatever shoe you wanted at the trials. And uh, I think it's no secret you, you wore the vapor flies, made the team. Then you signed with On, who we're big fans of. And so now they've got this new shoe. They've sent it to me, the Cloud Boom Echo. It's like their, their super shoe, I think. and I call them all super shoes. Yeah. I think it's the prettiest shoe I've ever seen. I haven't worn it yet because I feel like I haven't been training enough to really. <laughs> it's it's kind of hot. I got a one-year-old. I'm like, I really need to be racing shape before I go out and wear it. My wife got a pair and loves it, but are, are you wearing the shoe? Are you, you know, are you allowed to wear something else? What's the deal with the shoes?
1: Yes, I will be wearing the Echo. Um, so I signed with them back in, I think, either June or July of last year. Uh, and so like immediately they started sending me their prototypes. They've been, I think, like a lot of companies, like, because they did not have one for the trials. So all the on athletes at the trials were racing in whatever they wanted. And so... They've been scrambling because now they had a whole extra year to get one ready. So they just released it. They had a release party at the the uh, at the track trials. So it's out. It's ready to go. Uh, night and day since the first couple ones I was putting on, they've increased the stack height since when I was first with them. They've uh, improved the heel. The fit of the upper is better. The upper is a lot more breathable. Like you said on those aesthetics. If they don't, if they can't do anything else, they can do aesthetics and they're doing the other stuff pretty darn well too. So I think for a first release of a shoe, it's, it's really good. And from what they've been telling me of the internal testing they've been doing, like it's put me on, on par, on a level playing field with, with pretty much any other shoe out there, right? You're looking for, you want to have a bump of around 4% when you aggregate all the data. And that's about what they're seeing from the shoe. So, you know, I think we're trying, we're starting to reach a place in, shoes again where you can pick the shoe that you think feels best to your foot and be confident that it's going to like you know perform or do what you want it to do with the race so for a while there was like i can either wear this flat piece of rubber from company x or i can wear this this super shoe and if i wear the flat piece of rubber like i'm at a disadvantage now it's, I can choose from amongst these different companies. What do I like? With you know, How does it look? How does it feel? All that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that's the place we're at. So stepping onto the starting line of my on shoes, like, yeah, I feel, I feel confident. I've been wearing it in practice for the last year and a half or a year. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how it's performed so far. So this will be my first marathon in it. That'll be, I'm excited to, to give it the full 26.2.
0: If you do get a medal or something, oh my god! You <laughs>
1: be, better name it after me, Janet.
0: Uh, I'm getting that on the record. I've been to Olivia, the founder of Von's house in Switzerland, so I, I kind of know him. At least I know him. He may not know me, but uh, I'm. I'm. He's got to commit to naming the shoe after you if you get a medal. It'll just be me and Roger, Roger Federer. Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: Let's see what the name shoe is. Yep, get the two R's.
0: Earlier, you were talking about Jared Ward when you guys did footwalkers together. And so I think that's sort of a good way to segue back to sort of your career and how you got to the Olympics. Um, It's funny. I'm trying to think like what I know about your high school career. I can't, I don't know much. I didn't look into it because I'm like, you're so far beyond that now. (laughs) But you had to be a very good runner in high school. You go to Stanford. I think you were, I looked this up last night. We were originally supposed to talk third, like third in the 5K or 10K on the track fifth in the other one maybe sixth at ncaa cross country is that right
1: yeah so my junior year I was sixth at ncaa cross um third at the 10k at ncaa's um and then the next year i was fifth at ncaa's in the 10k cross didn't go super well that that final senior year um i, I anytime all american is the other big stat that gets thrown out so um yeah it was a successful career i spent a lot of my career as sort of like a a B-lister, like, you know, I was the number three guy at Stanford. So I think a lot of times you, you get third at NCAAs that, that puts you on the top of your team. But like I was teammates with Chris Derrick and Elliott Heath and like, uh, you know, Elliot was coming off of NCAA champ in the 3K. Like uh, there's some, com- you know, very, very solid guys on my team. Uh, high school was similar. Like I was state champion in Washington state for cross country, but that was at 2A, which is like the third highest division. So um, not the most competitive one out there. But I did make Foot Locker. Um, and that was enough to get me on the radar of, of schools like Stanford and Oregon. Um, yeah. So, but I, I don't think that career would have suggested this level of success. Though I will say, I was just looking at some sort of post from a little while ago talking about the, uh, was it, the Web Hall Ritz high school graduation year and like, Oh my gosh, they were so good. I just want to say that my graduating class is there's me, there's Jared Ward, there's Hassan me, there's Matt Centruitz, there's, uh, Evan Jaeger. Like I would say that we have been as successful or more successful than, the uh, the Webb Hall Ritz class. Uh, I would, I would put us up against any graduating class in the, in the history of the States. Wow. And, and that's a point of pride for me.
0: Bold claim
1: <laughs> that will, that'll sort a new let's run thread.
0: Yeah, come December, when there's nothing to talk about, we'll break it down. (laughs) Web Hall Ritz versus your class. Um, That's crazy, because when you said you're third best, I was thinking Derek, and then I'm like, who's the other one? So then you get out of college, you go to Hanson Brooks. I feel like you were one of their faster track guys that they signed at the time, because they were known more for the marathon.
1: Yeah, and at that time, like, Cell had left, so it was, um, like, Mike Morgan, who was, like, a 214, 213 guy, Luke Humphrey was, was about the same place, but like Rizzo had just left. Um, yeah. So I think they were trying to move into track. And so for a while there I was the fastest track guy and then they brought in Bobby Curtis and I was back to being number two.
0: Well, I, I'm going to ask you in a second, if being number two or number three helped you get to this point. Cause I was the number two guy on my high school team. I didn't make an Olympic team, but I got fourth in the country. And I'm like, Oh, it, it, it helped at every level. I was just kind of like, well, I'm getting better. This is good. Let's keep going. So at Hanson Brooks, you, you broke 28 minutes for 10K, 27.59. That second matters, I think. <sighs> but the marathon, you actually – they're known for the marathon. You never really ran that well for the marathon. Then I think you got hurt. Like, I Kind of maybe talk us through that because I feel like at the end of, of your reign there, I think you easily could have just said, that's it. I'm done with running. I got a Stanford degree. You're an engineer, right? Yeah. You could have said, like, hey, like – Let's go work in the real world. Kind of uh, how did we get from turning pro hoping to being track runner to being number two at Hanson Brooks behind Bobby Curtis to where we are today?
1: Yeah. Um that 2759 was it, it, I was a little bit overtrained when we went into that race. I feel like I could have run a little bit faster. And that was kind of that's probably the segment that was the beginning of the end for me at Hanson's. Um I was starting to my Achilles was starting to really bother me that was kind of the injury that's plagued me that that plagued me from 2015 through to probably 2019 or so. Um, and so every progressive segment after that with the Hansons, it would like the pain would start earlier in the segment after a break. Um, it would be worse. It would stay with me longer. So like during our buildup for the 2016 marathon trials, I spent would spend the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of like every run kind of like a limping, trying to get through that run. It didn't really seem to matter what sort of treatment I did. I I just kind of got into the mindset of like, just get to the race, just get to the race, just get to the race, just put up with whatever pain you have to. But by the time I got to the race, like I I was as excited to race because it meant that like the next day I wasn't going to have to try and run anymore as I was that I was going to get out to go and compete. And so like, you know, I was with the lead pack at the 2016 marathon trials uh, with six to go but like I was hanging out with my nails. So as soon as someone made a move, like I was off the back there was, there was no chance I was going to be there. And I had a qualifier for the track trial. So I stuck with it through the track, but like I was, I was over it, I guess you could say it, at that point. And so I, I kind of had that mindset. Like I do not want to be here in Michigan anymore. I would like, I, I know that I need to make some sort of a change. Um, So I we moved back to Seattle for a little bit and I tried to find an engineering job but like it's one thing to have a degree it's another thing for the degree to be four years old with nothing else on the resume and we've kind of called our shot and moved to Seattle without a job in mind. so I was applying to like everything I could but it was either you needed to be right out of college or you needed to have experience and I didn't have either. So I was looking around I just couldn't find anything to work in so I was working for as a substitute teacher for a little bit. I should have move in with my parents for a little bit and I was certainly of the mindset like this might not be worth it anymore maybe the goal is no longer training for Olympic trials and training for Olympics and and that sort of thing. It's like go out and kind of have fun and do things like coast or hood to coast or something like that. Um, But because I couldn't find a job, I was like, well, if I can't get work, I need to find some way to get work. So maybe let's go back to school. The advantage there being, um, you know, in college, I was pretty successful going to school and running at the same time. So I figured I could do that balance again So I was looking around for places I could go to school and train at the same time. Boulder has CU Boulder right here. It's a great running community. Um, It's got a little bit more going on than, than Rochester, Michigan did, which I, which is where the Hansons are. And um, one of the, the big takeaways I took from being in, in Michigan was being a professional runner and being all running all the time is great when things are going good. Like right now they're going good. So it, I, it doesn't bother me that like, I spend five hours between prepping for runs, runs, core, post-run, all that kind of stuff. When you're hurt or when something's going bad, it really sucks to have running be the only reason that you're in some place or doing anything. Like you just have no way to fill your time. It can get depressing and get frustrating. And so I wanted to be somewhere where if running didn't go how I wanted it to be, like there would, there would be other things to, to to do. So I wanted to make sure that I had like intellectual stimulation, going to school. Um, I've also, I w- was working as an SAT tutor, like having a job, like something there that is completely unconnected to running it was just a break, I think was really valuable. And it gave me time to, yeah, try to rehab my Achilles again. Finally bit the bullet and got surgery. Um, so I got the the highlands deformity, did a little bit of bone spur in my Achilles taken care of. I got that shaved off got some of the dead tissue taken out. Uh, And then I was working with Lee at that point and he just sort of worked me, worked me back to health from one minute on nine minutes off jogging to uh, yeah. Top American at Chicago over the course of about a year.
0: What took you so long to have the surgery? I feel like if you've Achilles been bugging you for three or four years,
1: Uh, we, we were always just trying to treat it as a soft tissue issue. And like, especially running at a high level, like pretty much every doctor is loath to go to, uh, surgery first. So everybody's like, well, we can probably te- treat the tissue. And so the first time around, it was like, we're just going to do extra rehab exercises. We're going to try and get your mechanics improved. Okay. Well, that didn't work. Okay. Well, we're going to do a little more aggressive. We're going to do like a PRP injection. We're going to do dry and We're going to do whatever it is. Um, and so I w- would keep getting more aggressive with the treatment trying to get the, the tissue itself. Cause that was where the pain was. Um, even though I have like that little heel bones for like massive heel that everybody has a Haglund's will have. Um, and I, I eventually got tired of that, but like to all the people out there that are kind of dealing with similar things, I'm a fan of surgery. I say, get it done. If it's something like structural like that, um, you know, like a, a, an impingement up in your hip or something like that. Ultimately treating the soft tissue part is putting out fires. And that's certainly good, especially if you have goals on the way, like it wouldn't have made sense for me to get surgery in the buildup to the trials. Cause I could technically still run and you know, who knows maybe it could have made something happen, but like in the downtime in between screw it, get surgery, come back. And when you wake up and you step out of bed and the first step doesn't hurt anymore, like it's an amazing feeling. So um, I'm very happy that I did. I do, regret that it took me so long to make that decision um it was also probably didn't help that i kept moving to different places and moving to different doctors so i'd have to start from scratch with a a new person every single time uh but yeah i asked myself that same question sometimes why did it take me so long um but even when i did make the decision like the the doctor was still like well we could still keep trying this other like less invasive stuff you know there's no guarantees in surgery maybe you want to take another round with prp and i was like no i if this doesn't work, I'm done running. I'm not going to be competing anymore because I just, the amount of frustration involved in in sort of uh, banging my head against the wall is just not worth, that's not worth the, the input is not giving me the output that, that would justify it. So yeah, uh, around 2018, I was like 50% of the way to being like, I'm, I will never be racing again at a competitive level. Wait, when, when, 2018, like I got the surgery in May of 2018 before we made that decision. Like I, I remember being in the doctor's office, like if this doesn't work, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, Cause I was like, it was my third time where I had to like talk to a coach. Like I can't, we can't do this. Like I can't train the third time of hopes being dashed.
0: And were you training with, with Lee at the time or sort of after the surgery, you got hooked up with Lee. How'd you get in touch with Lee?
1: Um, I got his number from Chris Derrick who had met him when he was, here in Boulder uh, for US Cross. Um, so he said like hey I met this guy Lee. He's he was a really nice guy. He had, I also then looked him up and saw that he had trained uh Sean Quickly, John Gray, Lor like some very successful runners that were doing the kind of stuff that I wanted to do. So I just reached out and said like there's a spot for you, me on your team. Like I I'd, I'd love to move out. Um and he said yes and so I was in my car then like 10 days later but like I hadn't come out or really picked his brain about training or anything. I just, I wanted a training group. It seemed like he was good. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I moved out. And so I had started, I was just coming, starting to run again the first time I started training with him. So I was like doing 30 minutes every other day when I first started with him. Um, and we had built up to the point where I was starting to do some workouts with the team. We we're getting like some light tempos and stuff in. And then the Achilles flared up and I had to pull back. So I think I'd been with Lee for maybe three, four months
0: um, before we I had to go in and, and get the, the surgery consultation. Then I guess within what, a year and a half, roughly, you're first American in Chicago?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So almost exactly a year later, I ran my first race in four years, which was the... Uh, it was some some five local 5K down at Broomfield. Um, and then it was Bix, Boulder, Boulder, US 20K Champs, and then Chicago.
0: All improvement. And so were you surprised with, what was the exact time in Chicago? 2.10.30. 2-10-30. 2.10.30? Were you surprised with how well that went? Because essentially nobody was running that fast. I mean, that was about as good as it was in America. I, I don't know what, what else were up in that year, but... A lot of guys started running the two ten two elevens again, but like you hadn't run in years. Essentially, I mean, really been racing. Was that a surprise? Or You always sort of knew the marathon, you could run that fast. How surprising was that time? Or you like in Hanson Brooks, you never ran a super fast one like Chicago.
1: So I debuted at Chicago in two thirteen, and with the Hanson's, it was kind of you pick a goal pace and then you train at that pace. And like especially at the time, I was twenty fourteen was when I made my debut. Like a two thirteen debut. If you weren't like, Salinsky or something like that, like that's pretty darn good. Like that got you some attention. Like most people did not debut at that. So I was very happy with that two thirteen. I thought I raced pretty darn well. Like I was second American at that race, like thirty seconds behind her. I think I think Bobby Curtis ran like two twelve at that race or something like that. Like I was not super far back. Um, So it was actually pretty solid for when it was. I was pretty happy with it. Uh, but going into Chicago 2019, uh, like I said, I had just come out of a place where I was like, I might not be competitive again ever. So I was like, I'd be happy if I get my Olympic qualifier. Let's just get to the starting line. We can worry about being good later. So, you know, 217, 219, if we're in there, that's fantastic. And then talking with Lee in the weeks leading up to the race, he's like, Yeah, I think you're ready to run like 212, 213. And I, I my eyes got big, like, what are you talking about? That's faster than my PR. Uh, and then there was a pacer going out at 2.11 pace, I think. Um, and oh, Crap, I'm not going to give the guy credit. It was one of the Hoka guys. I can't remember which one it was. Um, I think it might have been Matt Baxter, but I'm not entirely sure. I, I I need to give that guy. I think I owe that guy a bottle of champagne or something like that because he did a fantastic pacing job. And Lee's instructions before the race were like, screw it go with go with the pack just be in the pack of americans and go on as long as you can and i just kept feeling good i just kept feeling good kept feeling good and then over the last two miles not only was i feeling good i was able to put in moves and actually like race and be competitive and challenging and i feel like i'm pretty good about going with the flow so i was like screw it we're here let's go for it and then uh yeah came across the line and realized dropped rapid dropped out so i was top american it was pretty i was flabbergasted and i i was also, there was a lot of emotion associated with it because I, like I said, I, I didn't think I was going to be back at racing. So it was a pretty emotional hug with Lee after the race. And um, I certainly surprised myself, but it definitely gave me a huge confidence boost and a difference of perspective uh, heading into the trials.
0: That's crazy. You know, you're thinking maybe like a month before he might run 217 or something. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of kind of what your expectations are. Like, I need a qualifier, maybe I'll play it safe. And he's like, no, you're going to go for it.
1: Yeah, and I, one of the things I, I pride myself on is my ability to kind of trust a coach and just sort of put my head down and, and do what I'm told. And uh, Lee hasn't steered me wrong yet. So, And that was kind of the beginning of, all right, Lee, you just tell me what you do, and I'll go out and execute it.
0: And then heading into the trials, I, I assume your training had gotten a lot better than that, and you're like, this is my chance. We you very confident going in. But the fields were stacked, very difficult course. It was February 29th, right? Mm-hmm. The morning of February 29th, 2020, what are you thinking?
1: So Lee's big thing with training is we do the same thing with better. So the training going into the trials was not significantly different than what I had done leading into Chicago. Um, In terms of mileage, we didn't hit that much more. You know, a couple of the workouts were a little bit faster than I had done before. Uh, But other than that, like pretty, pretty consistent. Um, I was going in with, I think the fifth fastest seed time, which whatever that means like I think it's a an indicator but it doesn't mean a whole lot um and so I was going in with the perspective like if I have a good day I have a chance to make this team I'm not a favorite I don't think anybody had me as a favorite I think I was on maybe some people's dark horse list and that's kind of where I put myself but at the same time it's championship racing you put yourself you put your nose in it like some people are going to show up to the race overcooked and they're not going to be competitive at all. Some people are going to race themselves out of it because they are technically unsound within the race. And so if you can avoid either of those pitfalls and be ready to compete over the, you know, the last few miles, like you'll be, you've got as good a chance as anybody else. And that was my perspective. So I I wouldn't say that I was going in, like I'm making this team. Um, I went in, like, I'm going to compete to make this team. Like I, I'm not going to uh, yield to anybody in this field. I think I
0: can hang with anybody who's, who's here.
1: was kind of my perspective.
0: Ian, before the podcast started, I I was saying like, I completely forgot about the trials race. And now I just think, Hey, Rupp, you and Abdi, three Olympians, uh, you know, who was fourth, but it was actually a crazy, great competitive race. So you kind of hold back. I'm trying to think at what point, at some point after 20 miles, you start going after the leaders coming down like the final, I don't know, quarter, half mile, it's three, three guys f- for two spots. Um, it's you, Abdi and Leonard career. So like, when did you get in the top three? What are you thinking at that point? I mean, in some ways you like, I mean, your running running careers sort of for a lot of people are you an Olympian or not? You're an Olympian. I-, I assume even if you get COVID now, they can call you an Olympian. I have no idea how that works, but you made the team in my book. <laughs> Land in Tokyo, I'll count you no matter what. But, yeah, like, talk us through the end of that race. What's that like? The pressure? Are you excited, freaking out in your head? Like, when did you know you had it? Uh, So there was a pack
1: of four, or sorry, a pack of three that I had been chasing since about mile 20 or so. So that was, um, it was Abdi and Leonard and then Augustus Mayo. And so I, Mayo, Mayo, I think it's Mayo. So I caught them at mile 24. So it's right when you make this hairpin turn underneath the Olympic rings that are on this road in Atlanta. And then you start coming back into the city. And I had known I was going to catch them for a while. I I could see them coming back to me. I didn't know how they were going to respond, but my goal when I hit that pack was hit it and then immediately make a move, try and break somebody. I figured if they were coming back to me, they were tired. They were not expecting anybody to catch them. Um, so if I could put in a hard, solid move, I could just blow this thing out and just kind of jog it in for a second. Um, so I hit that pack at mile 24 on that course. When I say put in a surge, it's like two seconds faster. And it felt like the hardest thing in the world, but I did open up a little bit of a gap only Augustus dropped. So Avdi stayed right on my shoulder and Leonard, we opened up like a 10 meter gap on him. So for the next mile or so, I was, um, kept trying to, punch away at ob kept trying to get him to drop so every downhill i would open up a gap and then he would be able to close it on the uphill i just could not could not shake him and then leonard yeah, you know, he was hanging on by his fingernails and all all credit to him like he ran the hardest last two miles i think it's possible to run because it's like it's not like he was on our shoulders and kind of able to tuck in and relax and he also didn't fall off which is its own form of relaxation he was like his, his, his little rope to us was stretched as taut as possible. And he just would not let it break. So he couldn't quite close it on us, but he also uh, never dropped. And that's insanely impressive for how long he held that. Um, Are you looking back Are people yelling at you? How do you know he's there? Every corner I would kind of like give myself like a little head turn. Good, good. I'm glad people say they don't look back. You need to. He was almost more nerve wracking than Obdi, Like based on how Abdi was responding to my surges, I felt pretty confident that we were at the very least going to be able to run in together. And that if I were to put in the last surge, I was going to be able to beat him. I felt pretty good about my chances there, but then, but I don't know what's happening with Leonard. Like Leonard's behind me. He's lurking. He's run twenty-seven fifteen or whatever his 10 KPR is. It's very good. He had just run two Oh seven. He's a sub 60 half marathoner. like, pretty much every phase of the game, his PRs are better than mine. I know he can close well. Like, we've been racing each other since college. Like, I don't like to have him sort of lurking on behind me, not knowing where he is or what he's doing. Um, so, you know, a lot of Olympic trials, you watch the finish, and, like, last few miles, it, it's basically done. Everybody knows what place they're going to get. They grab the flag. They wave to the fans. It's it's sort of a, a victory lap almost. I didn't know I'd made the team until, like, 10 meters from the finish when I put in a surge and knew that Abdi didn't have enough time to to come back at me. So it was one of those things where, like, my my excitement and my anticipation was building, but it's like, no, stay calm. You've still got to race. You've still got to race. You've still got to race. Make sure you're the last one with a kick. And then, yeah, finally that last 10 meters, I put in the surge, and, like, nope, no time anymore. I can finally, like, let out all this
0: nervous energy that's been building for the last two miles. What's that feel like? Or can you not describe it? I mean, your whole life, you're sort of – and you've been through so much – I don't know difficulty. I mean, there's a picture of me that I love from that finished
1: line, which is just like arms all like clenched, just screaming at screaming at the top of my lungs, and that's that. That's not that's not actually an emotion, but that's as close as I can get to describing it. It's just this like upwelling of sort of relief and excitement and just pent up energy. Like it has nowhere else to go. You just have to like shout because you've been under so much pressure for so long. you wanted it so badly. And then you finally realize that it's there. And like, yeah, you can't really describe it. It's not, it's just a, yeah, it's sort of a very ephemeral, uh, overwhelming feeling. I don't know. I've tried to put it in words a lot of times. I I can't get really any closer than that.
0: I think the rest of us, we want to have some feeling like that and we see how excited people are and we can only imagine because we all root for sports and we kind of put the, put ourselves in the moment of the team, but we're not the ones actually attaining it. So we understand pure joy when we see it. But I talked about this earlier a little bit. Like, so you're an Olympian. You're the number three guy on your college team. Chris Derrick out of college. Everyone's assuming he's going to be an Olympian. You know, looks like it's it's not gonna happen
1: he's still training he just moved out here to boulder and i'm trying to convince him to join uh join our training group right now he kind of wants to do his own thing for a little while but like i'm gonna keep chipping away so hopefully he starts training with lee and we get to be uh training
0: partners heading into 2024 that's my dream oh that'd be great because it's not that far away like what happened to him like what's been up with chris the last couple he's not what he once was like what i just kind of figured maybe he i don't know he's not too old so like what do you think it is 30 seconds on him. Well, he's had some,
1: you know, sometimes you get into a little bit of an injury cycle. So I think that's part of it. Um, Like he's kind of where I was a couple of years ago where like (laughs) you get sort of these imbalances and these little things kind of build up over time. And then when you finally start to dig in and address them, it can start to feel like you're sort of like trying to put out fires all over the place. It's like, well, I got this thing taken care of. Well, now this fire cropped up. So I think he's been in that for a little bit. Um, from what I understand of Jerry's training, like they, if, if there's like a razor edge of what fitness is, they want to be exactly on that razor edge. And so like, they will do everything in their power to like, be as fit and as strong as possible, which means that like, he's been telling me some of the workouts and some of the mileage that he was doing during his marathon buildups. And it's freaking blowing my mind. Like he was saying, it was like, he was hitting, I don't want to give too much away. Like this, that's, that's his story to tell. You can have him on, but like just bonkers mileage and the intensity of some of the workouts. Like you talk about, I, I would imagine that he did some of his racing in his workouts. And so if it works clearly with Jerry, like when it works, you are essentially unstoppable. You're going to be one of the best in the world. Like there is no question that he can get you to be as fit as it is possible for you to be. But if it doesn't work, boy is it going to be a real freaking bear because you're probably going to come in a little bit overtrained uh, and a little bit burnt out and it's really hard to compete in that so i would imagine like he probably got like a little bit overcooked would be my guess and it can be really really frustrating to have that multiple times in a row like you know i i was able to come back from injury like i said i did 3 years in sort of that that injury hole it's not easy to to stay motivated and to stay optimistic and to keep coming back to the well, when every time you come back, something new hurts and you keep getting slapped down. So, um, you know, I understand why he wants to maybe take a little step back, do something just kind of on his own. He's getting coached by, um, our old college teammate, Elliot Heath. Um, just want to kind of do his, do his own thing, get back to the basics and, um, you know, see if running is still something that you enjoy. Cause like this, this sport, for the most part, does not give you enough back outside of it being fun. Like we don't make nearly enough money for us to say like, well, I'm doing this for the payday. Like you have to enjoy the sport. You have to like, like what you're doing. You have to be uh, at least to some extent in love with the process. And when you're, you're hurt or you're tired, or you feel like the training isn't doing what you want it to do. And you feel like you're giving everything you can and start seeing results. Like it's hard to keep justifying it so i think he's trying to find a little bit of um you know what 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 fans his fire and if he can find that again um i think he'll be there in 2024 and like you said he has as much or more talent as anybody in the country like if if someone can make an olympic team it's going to be him um but we also know that it's not always about the talent or the desire um you know it's something i think about a lot was like Sarah Hall's never made a team and I can't sit here and say that I have more passion or fire or talent or dedication to the sport than she does. Sometimes it just doesn't quite work out when you, when you need it two. And it's, uh, that is both the beauty and then the tragedy of the the way that we do our qualification and, and, and the way that we do racing.
0: Well, that's cool. You're talking about Chris, because let's run people who love to hear you guys. Well, your contract goes through 2024. So you're already committed to that, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I will be with on, um and you know our team boulder the the group we trained with like we don't have like an overall umbrella sponsor it's kind of if you want to train with lee and it th- feels like you work with the team um he'll bring you on and we're trying to keep it pretty small um so if, if chris can find another sponsor if you know he wants to do my thing like working going unsponsored worked out pretty darn well for me so if he you know ends up moving away from nike and just kind of wants to go his own route it can work out well for him too yeah, do you have any races lined up for the fall after the Olympics? How can I announce it? Uh, right now, the plan is, we're just talking to Cal Harbor, so I think the, kind of the first one back will be like a fun 10K out at uh, Cal Harbor. Uh, my big goal is U.S. Cross, and that might change a little bit whether they decide to have World Cross. Australia, I think, is not super happy with their COVID situation, so they may not want to have World Cross in, in 2022. Um I've never made a US or a world cross team. And that's like, if Olympics is one, a world cross is one B. Um, that's my first love. I love cross country. So I want to give it another real good shot. Um, so I- I'm hoping to do a cross country segment uh, in the fall and then potentially come back for a fall marathon or uh, sorry, a
0: spring marathon. Well, you don't have like a fall marathon payday planned. Well, I figured that's how it works. That is how it works.
1: At the same time, like, That would be, you know, that would be either fall Boston or fall New York. I don't want to go to New York and sort of run it. I want to go to New York and race it. And we thought it was going to be too tight of a turnaround post Olympics to, um, come off the Olympics and then get up into good enough shape to go out to New York and race. Now that has no impact on payday. Like it would certainly be nice to have that, but, um, yeah, the, I liked, I, if I'm going to run a marathon, I'm going to put that much of my time and effort in it. I want to go on with a chance to like, you know, go in and win a marathon major, you know, podium at a marathon major, or something like that. And it being in November, it just wasn't going to be enough time to do that. And also, you know, I'm 32 or I'll be 33 by the time New York and those fall marathons run run around, like marathon segments are hard on your body. I don't know that it would be the best thing for my longevity to make it to 2024 to just try and hammer out as many marathons in a row as possible.
0: Well, I applaud you. A purist, a purist. All right. One piece of advice for other people. You've seen the highs and lows of the sport. If you have one piece of advice to give people, what would it be? Yeah. we were talking about highs and lows and sort of weathering
1: those like, um, don't let running be your everything. Like, it, it has to be sometimes to be the, the highest level that you want. But like, if you structure your life so that running is the be all end all, you just can't, you can't burn that fire hot enough. And to, to have, to have longevity in this sport, you have to have balance, you have to find it. Um, and so, yeah, find some other things that kind of either bring you joy or distract you or something like that. Um, and then consistency. <laughs> if you've got a, uh, see a PT, see a massage therapist, see a strength coach, like, uh, put in your miles every day and make sure you're staying on top of like all your strength stuff. Cause once you start to get into your late twenties, early thirties, you're going to wish you had. So the earlier you can start like taking care of all those little things. If you have an imbalance, address it. Um, so consistency and then also balance.
0: And we didn't ask, are there closing ceremonies for any athletes? Are you, can you go to that or are you being supportive of it? The- I think so. Yes. You get to go.
1: Yes. They are flying us back to Tokyo immediately after the race. And there was something about the the closing ceremonies, but also they keep giving out new directions. So, uh, like, whatever happens after this race, great. I'm, but like the the details of sort of logistics post race are sort of gray and fuzzy and off to the side. I, my eyes slide over those. Is mostly it's focused on what do I need to do to get to the start line?
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully you can enjoy that part of it, but who knows? Yeah. The yeah. crazy Olympics, crazy year. We're glad you made it. Have fun, and hopefully, hey, any let's runners out there want to have a viewing party in New York City? Let me know. We got to figure this out. All right, Jake. Thank you. Good luck. Hey, travel safely. Do not get COVID before you get over there. Yeah, you darn right. Seriously. All right. Thank you. Thanks. The track action starts Thursday night in Tokyo. If you want all the Tokyo coverage, daily podcast. Behind-the-scenes access. Become a Let's Run.com supporters club member today. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. If you want electrolytes without the junk, there's only one way to do it. Drink LMNT. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run and take advantage of the free sample pack. It only costs $5 shipping. You get six different flavors. You can try them all out. If you don't like this stuff, I will personally refund your 5 bucks.